right, church. Hey, Joel, at first, it's good to see you this morning. If you are new here, we are so glad that you've joined us. Uh, we have a lot of great guests here, our district superintendents here. This is, this is just a great day. Uh, I love these days because the sun is here and the summer is here, which means most of you aren't here. No, I'm just kidding. We, I, I love summer to death, but sometimes I miss our people. But thank you for those of you that showed up today. What a great day we're going to have. This is a new series we're beginning. I'm excited. We at Joliet First have a mission here, and that is to become a community of hope. But not only become a community of hope, but become hope within the community. You see, at Scripture, we look in Leviticus, and we find that, that there is a community in need around the body of God's people, and he asks the farmers to leave the edges of the field for the widow, for the foreigner, for the poor, and the orphan. And so we recognize that we have a community, Joliet, that's right around us that is in need. And so we've been asking at this church, what does it mean for us to become the edges of the field for the community and the people that surrounds us? And so we're, we're, we're struggling and we're learning what it means to become a community of hope. And so we have four values. We haven't done this in a while. Can anybody tell me? The first one is that we will what? Seek, right? We will seek God. That whatever you seek becomes the center of who you are. And at Joliet First, we are aligning our life's habits with God's hopes for the world. We will invest. We will invest everything that God has given us because it's not ours. We will invest with the hope of giving it away to people who need it more than we do. We will invest. And our investment isn't in vain. It isn't something we have to do. We do it because... At our church, we want to restore. We believe that God created you to live for purpose and reason. And you can only do that when you're restored in his image. And you know what's crazy? I know this is a crazy thought for, for church people. But we will actually want to send you back to your homes, back to your jobs, back to your neighborhoods. As images of this hope, we will send you. That is a mission that we have at this church. We will send you so we can become a community of hope. So today we're going to start a new series on one of our very values that we just mentioned. And what I love is there is a story about a church that is doing it well. But he's, Paul's going to be writing to a church that's not doing it so well. So would you pray for me? Pray for me this morning as we bring God's word. Lord, we give you thanks. We acknowledge your presence in this moment. We will let your words speak for themselves. We thank you for missionaries like Paul who have come to the world to spread the good news of Christ. May it be good news to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't have time for fun introductions or anything like that. I've got a lot to get through today, so we're going to cruise on through. Put on your listening ears. We're going to move fast today. I'm going to introduce you this morning to a gentleman named Paul. Now, many of you are familiar with Paul, but there are some here who aren't familiar with Paul. Paul was a former persecutor of this new movement called the Followers of the Way. They didn't call them Christians back then. They called them Followers of the Way. And Paul persecuted these people. But what's amazing is the one who paved the way of grace meets Paul face to face. His name is Jesus, and he has this experience that moves him into a different existence. His soul is stirring within him. There is a revolution moving within Paul because he's experienced Jesus for the first time. And so what does Paul do? He does what most of us don't do. He actually goes to all the world and he starts planting churches all over the world. Planting churches everywhere. 
and he reaches hundreds of thousands of people. But if you know anything about planting churches, eventually planted churches become like normal churches and they have problems. Not like our church. We're perfect here. If you're a guest here, we are the perfect church. Glad you're here. But Paul has planted churches all over the world, and at times they struggle. They have issues. They have problems. And so today he writes to the people of Corinth. Now, Corinth is this bustling city on a seaport. There's a lot of trade. There's a lot of commerce. The Roman Empire is coming in, and they're building this Corinthian canal for the Corinthians. I mean, it's exciting times in the city. It's like Chicago with, without all the murdering. It's a great time. And, and the Corinthians are struggling with something. You see, this is a city of wealth and extravagance. And so the Corinthians are asking this question, who are we? See, we want to follow the way, but somehow we love the way of the world. And Paul addresses two issues that none of us face in America, materialism and sensualism. Simply put, stuff and sex. It's a simple way to put it. Stuff and sex. That's what the Corinthians are struggling with. Now, Paul has already addressed the latter, and today he addresses the former. And what he does is he addresses this extravagant church that has a lack of community and tells them about an extraordinary church that's doing it well. Now, there's a lot of dynamics to this passage, and I know I'm covering a lot, but it'll help you understand what Paul is wanting to tell us. During this time, there was a political situation that is a little more tumultuous than what we face today. We think it's bad here. You should have lived in 55 AD when Paul's penning this letter. Let me help you understand, because once you hear this, you'll understand what Paul's talking about when he writes to the Corinthians. There, during 54 AD, there was this transformation of power, and not in a good way. There was a gentleman named Claude. I'm just going to call him Claude, because Claudius is too long. There was a gentleman named Claude who had this wife who had a son that wasn't Claude. Y'all with me? And she wanted Claude to adopt his son. And Claude was so generous and gracious. If any Roman emperor could be gracious, he was. And so he said, you know, I will adopt your son. And she said, I know you're going to adopt him, but I need you to do a little bit more. I want you to make him heir to the throne over your own son. Now, that, that's a big ask if anybody knows what, 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 he's, what she's doing there. And somehow, Claude agrees to this, but not quick enough for his wife. So what his wife does is she murders her own husband so her 17-year-old teenage son can be the leader of the free world. And his name's Nero. Now, some of you may not know Nero, but let me help you understand what followers of the first century were dealing with. Nero was this guy who eventually killed the very one that gave him his power. He killed his own mother. Not only that, but then he, he killed his wife. He beheaded his wife who had an affair, and he put her head on display for all of Rome to see, including Nero's mistress. This is juicy stuff. This is good stuff. It's like days of our lives. And not only does he put her head out for all to see, but for his mistress to see. By the way, the very mistress that he kicked to death when she was pregnant. This is Nero, right? Some of you are like, okay, I'm starting to get the gist of what you're throwing down here. Nero burns down Rome in 64 AD, blames the Christians for it, and then burns the Christians in Rome because of it. This is a tyrant. And what you have to understand this morning 
is that the Christians, the followers of the way, were a barrier to the empire that he was trying to build. You see, followers were walking around saying this crazy line like, Jesus is Lord. And we say that today, and it really has no meaning. But you have to understand that the Romans passed a law that made the emperor of Rome God. So they believed that Nero himself was God. And so people would walk around saying, Caesar is Lord, Caesar is Lord. And then these crazy Christians show up saying, Jesus is Lord. And the only way to take care of them is to kill them, to persecute them, and to push them out of the city. Now, we've just covered a lot. We went from Paul to the Corinthian church to what's going on in Rome. And today we find Paul writing to the Corinthian church, this church that is extravagant, who is struggling with stuff and the other word that I probably shouldn't say again because we have little ears in here. Now, Paul is a, a, a... not the most orthodox DS. Paul is somewhat a district superintendent. And here's what he does. When he writes to the Corinthians, this is funny. He writes about their political competitors in the North, the Macedonians. And he says, you guys are really making a muck. And I want to tell you about these. It'd be like the, you know, the Russians to us, you know, it'd be like whatever, you know, they called them the Northern barbarians. So Paul tells them about the northern barbarians who are doing community, who are being a tribe, who are doing church really well. And the Corinthians don't like it. They don't like it at all. And I love what he says. I love what he says about the Macedonians. Here's what he says. He starts, he he sends the letter to him and he says this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now hear this. This is why I told you all about Rome and Nero. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, and they're, hear it now, extreme poverty have welled up into, say it with me, rich generosity. Woo! The, the word Paul uses here, this word severe trial, doesn't give us enough. It literally means to be squashed to be pressed, to be moved out. And the Macedonians are being kicked out of the jobs. They're being kicked out of their houses. They're living in the streets. They're losing everything that they have. And they have absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing, thanks to Nero. But I love what Paul says. We want to go to the joy. We want to go to the joy part. But he says they have overflowing And I love this thought. When we hear the word overflowing, what Paul wants us to hear is this word fullness. The kind of fullness that one experiences when they meet the matchless love of Jesus Christ who redeems your life from death. He takes your brokenness. He restores you into a new life and gives you a new experience. And it's a fullness. It's kind of like Mary who meets Jesus for the first day of the resurrection. It's a fullness. God who kisses our lips with mercy and totally changes everything about who we are. This is the good news. This is salvation. And this is what brings the Macedonians overflowing joy, a fullness of salvation. But then Paul contrasts that with this word extreme, extreme poverty. 
Extreme meaning the depths of somebody, the depths of who people are. And what Paul wants to say is the depths of nothingness. The depths of nothingness. And it's almost like this math equation that this overflowing joy and the depths of their despair have, I love this, welled up. Now, I can't pronounce the Greek word because it's so long. But the expression of what this word we can't grasp in the English is that what Paul wants to say is that people in Macedonia who have nothing are giving something, and in the something, God's heaven is coming into creation. That God's plans and his purposes and his mission of redemption are breaking forth into the world. I'm excited. This is really good. It's in other words saying God's presence is on earth as it is in heaven. We can experience this abundance because somebody decided to give something out of nothing. Whew. What a beautiful picture. So Paul, not that he hasn't offended the church enough, continues bragging about them. He says, they gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability." entirely on their own. In other words, I didn't have to ask them for it like I am you, Corinthians. Entirely on their own, they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. We urged Titus, just as he had, had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion the acts of grace on your part. Now, he lists for them the things they're doing well. But since you excel in everything like faith, and speech, and knowledge, and complete earnestness, and I love this, and in the love we have kindled in you. That's a big, big word that he's using, that they've got right, love. But he says, see that you excel in the grace of giving. See that you excel in the grace of giving. Now, Paul is genius. We can't appreciate the genius of what he is doing here. He is writing to one of the most wealthy churches on the district, one of the most wealthy cities in the world, and not once does he use the word the M-word. And I'm not even going to say it because I'm trying to avoid saying it today. Because you have to understand, it goes deeper than extravagance. It's called grace. I love how he challenges them to excel in the giving or the grace of giving. You see, implicit to what Paul is saying to the Macedonians or to the Corinthians about the Macedonians is that the grace of giving can only excel when we experience the giving of God's grace. You didn't catch that. We can only excel in the grace of giving when you have experienced the giving of God's grace to you. See, I'm convinced that we will only excel as a church. We will only excel in the grace of giving when we have experienced the grace that God wants to give each of us. See, when you've experienced God's love, when you've experienced this movement inside of you, everything that you have suddenly becomes his. And you want him to take, whether you have nothing or something, all of it is him and he calls it grace. And I love the way that Paul calls it the giving of grace because it takes grace to give. See, you can't give out of something you haven't experienced. The reason why the poor give so much to the poor is because they know what it's like to be poor. 
the reason why you give to a cause is because you've had a because in your life and you want to give. And so perhaps the reason why we struggle today, perhaps the reason why we struggle as a church overall, not just our church, but all churches, the reason why we struggle with the practice of the grace of giving is we have no grace to give from. We have no grace to give from. So maybe it's time. Maybe it's time for some of you to meet the God who loves you for the first time. Maybe it's time to meet a God who has defeated death. He redeems your life from death and calls you into an entirely new existence. And when you experience, as Paul word, the fullness of who God is, you can't help but give it away. You see, mercy is what makes you. Love is what leads you. Christ is what becomes of you. And grace is what we give away. Now, I know you're asking because I can just hear what great students you are this morning. Pastor and Paul, what is the point? What is all the point of this grace giving? And who is it going to? Thanks for asking. Those are really good questions. Notice what Paul says. He says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but there but that there might be, I love this word, equality. The goal of giving is equality. I like this thought. See, in, in our culture, that has a negative connotation right now, right? It's, it's deemed as this democratic, hippie, new age, millennial kind of narrative, and we don't like it. But did you know that 22 years after the resurrection of Christ, there were a body of people that came into the world, and we're going to say, we have a new way of living, and it's not run from the top down, but it's level. We're all on the same playing field in the kingdom of God. And I think, I think that my struggle with the church over the years is that we have had pastors, pastors, who have allowed their puppet-stringed minds to be distorted by power and money and people who pay the bills. And what happens is people with money take precedent over other people who don't. And money was never meant for manipulation. It was meant for mission. Money was never meant for manipulation. It is meant for mission. And I'm here to tell you, as I stand here as your pastor... We will never work out of wealth or, po or poverty or richness or poor. We will work out of equality. I don't care if you give $100,000. I don't care if you give $1. You are all equal in the name of Jesus Christ, but you have to give. Mission, not manipulation. I love that. So who's the money going to? Man, you guys are great today, let me tell you. You see, Paul had this problem. When he became a follower, some of the people uh, back in the church of Jerusalem were not okay with the way he was doing ministry. He had some unorthodox approaches to ministry that didn't align with what the Jews thought was uncouth and, and good and Christ-like. So they summoned Paul to this council in Jerusalem and Paul stands before Peter and some of his other disciples, and they have this long, drawn-out conversation about how we're going to do ministry. And essentially, Paul says to them, we're just going to have to agree to disagree, and Peter says, okay. 
that's fine. In fact, Paul, I believe in you so much. Let me tell you, there are people, Paul, that you can reach that I can't reach. And there are people that I, Peter, can reach that you can't reach, Paul. So here's what we'll do. I'm going to give you, now this is not going to make sense, but he says in Galatians, he says, I'm going to give you the right hand of the fellowship. In other words, I am giving half of the church to you, Paul, because I believe in the equality of this mission, that we will not hoard it in Jerusalem, but we will go to the ends of the earth to reach everybody. So he hands them the right hand of the fellowship, and he gives them a condition. I really like this. He says, Paul, we're, we're going to give you this right hand. We know that you're going to reach hundreds of thousands of people. We know that you're going to plant lots of churches, but we need you to do one thing. We need you to do one thing. We need you to remember the poor. Does that resonate with you? Because it should, because that's who we are as a church. We remember the poor at this church. He says, I need you to remember the poor when you're off out sharing the good news of Christ. When churches like Macedonia and the Corinthians decide to get on board. Would you remember the poor? And see, what you don't understand is the church in Jerusalem is failing at this time. They are struggling. You see, it wasn't just the Roman Empire who's persecuting. It was the former Jews that are persecuting them as well. And they have this massive famine that they're suffering from. So they have no food, and they're being slaughtered like they did back in Egypt. And Paul says, I'm going back to Jerusalem to present the grace of giving. To present that we are united as one as a church, whether you are poor or rich. We are all out for the same mission of the church, to reach lost people and to remember the poor. I really love this. They're all for the same mission. In Rome is trying to hold a boot to the church's neck, to squash them, to oppress them, to make it look like it did back in Egypt when Pharaoh had them building bricks in the sun. I mean, it was miserable. And you know what? The church becomes a subversive revolution in the first century because people decided that they were going to participate in the practice of the grace of giving because they had experienced the giving of God's grace so much, but they couldn't help but keep it in and send it out to the world. This is a revolution taking place because people got in with the giving of grace. So here's what I need you to know today. Now, I've gotten in trouble for making these statements before, and I don't mind getting in trouble again. But I need you to get in with the grace of giving. That's what I need you to know today. To get in with the grace of giving. You said, we, at the very beginning, we said one of our core values is to invest. We want our people invested. I need people who are all in. Because when you're all in, the church will win. That's a great, that's a great little ditty. I like that. You can write that down. It's free. That's free. When we're all in, the grace will win. The church will win. See, Julie, at first, what I love about our church is we have just scratched the surface. We are just beginning. We have gone in the last two years from an ingrown me mindset, stagnant, passive posture to an outward focused, moving into the city, restoring the hurt and broken, unified community, investing in the mission of God. 
Y'all got that, right? At this church, we aren't afraid to house the homeless. I love it. I had a vision board meeting one night, and there was a gentleman who was sleeping up under these front doors. And I walked up to him, and he said, do I, do I have to leave? Do I have to leave? And I said, no, brother, you can, you can, you can just rest easy. We, we aren't here to push you out. In fact, we want to invite you into our narthex here. We want you to come in, and we want you to sleep in here. And he said, well, I don't want to interrupt your meeting. I'll just, I'll just wait. And I'll never forget, I stood in our conference center room that has windows looking out where he was sleeping, and I watched every one of those board members walk up to that man and say, what is your name? What is your name? How can I help you? How can I take care of you? Is there anything that we can do for you? I watched Kara, who was leading the single moms ministry at the time, not even part of that board meeting, come by and say, how can we help you? Man, do you know what joy that brings me as your pastor to know that we have people who will not ignore those who look like they are less than them, but see them as equal. And we are simply here to say, we are going to give you some grace. We aren't afraid to knock on our neighbor's doors and say, what can we do for you that you can't do for yourself? We're not here for any kind of specific reason. We just want to help you. It's our initiative called community, which many of you have been a part of. We aren't afraid at this church to invite coworkers and family and friends and people who are far from Christ. You aren't afraid to bring them here. Why? Because we're not stuffy and weird. Right? We, we don't care what you look like, how you smell, how much money you have, what kind of language when you use walking in. We don't care because we love you. And we want you to be part of this family. God is rewriting the narrative of this church. He is moving us. He is using us. But we can't stop. We can't stop. Look around you today. Just look at all the people around you today. We can't stop moving forward. We have to keep dreaming. We need to continue loving. We need to be filled with a passion for the complexities of a God whose mission is to restore the entire world. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And we start with the slums of the southwest suburbs called Joliet. Hey, this is my city just as much as it is yours. I'll own it. When I first got here, no, I, I live in Joliet, but I'm not from there. You know what? I'm from this city, and I'm proud to be poor. But you know what? That is our mission in this city. We are not just becoming hope here. We are becoming hope within the community. We have a long way to go. I can tell you now, Joliet doesn't know who we are. We have a long way to go. So you're asking me, Pastor, how much money do you need? No, 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 see, that's the wrong question. See, we haven't used the M word the entire time, and I don't want to. Because I'm not just asking you to get in the grace of giving. Get in the grace of giving. Because you have been given grace, and it's from that experience in which you give. So here are some ways that you can do that. The first one is this. I need you to follow first. Notice what Paul says in the scripture. He says, they committed themselves first to God and then to us. There are some of you here today who really like coming to church or, or not. You're just here. You're really questioning whether this God is for you, whether this is something you want to be a part of. I can tell you now it is worth giving your life to. 
You will, you will be filled with purpose. You will have meaning. People always ask me, what would you do if you're not a pastor? I don't know. I, I really don't know what else I could possibly do except be a pastor in the job that I work. So I need some of you who, who, are, who are questioning or on the fence, make the decision to follow first. Follow Christ. It will change your life. You will have a peace that you've never had before. You will no longer live in anxiety. You will no longer live in fear, but you will be empowered by the spirit that God gives you. I need you to follow first. The other thing I need you to do is get in with the grace of giving by serving. Man, we have a lot of kids. For a church our size, we have a lot, a lot, a lot of kids. We have 50 kids here on any given Sunday. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. That means people are... Having kids. <laughs> That's a good thing. But we need people to serve in that capacity. We need people to serve our teenagers and our students and our college kids. You can serve by being part of our community initiative where we literally, I wasn't joking, we walk up, knock on people's doors and say, what can we do for you that you can't do for yourself? And people say, rate my leaves, give me a new sidewalk, put a roof on my house. Things that disabled people, we're getting ready to go to this lady's house who is disabled, who is disabled, who needs a new roof, who needs some sidewalk work done. But by the way, did I tell you that she has said, I have a house that, that I don't want anymore and I would like to give it to you. Woohoo! Let's continue. Let's continue with our Hope House ministry. This is good. But we need you at community. We don't need the same 20 or the same 40. I need every person in this church serving. That is how we, we value what we're doing well. We don't care about numbers. We care about people coming to Christ for the first time. We care about people who are serving. That's what we care about. Now, some of you may not like the next one, but that's okay. You get in with the grace of giving by becoming a covenant member, by baptism. Now, this isn't a country club. You don't get any special perks when you become a member of this church. It's not like that, trust me. say, Pastor, why do I need baptism? Why do I need membership? Don't leave if you feel like getting up. Here's why. Baptism is, is a statement. It is a statement about what God has done in you, and it is a statement about what you're going to do when you be, become part of the family of God. And, and I know that we have some people in this church who have gone to this church all their life that refuse to be members. Can I just say, what you are saying to the people that are new and that have decided to make a covenant with our church is that you are going to remain on the outside and you will not participate in what we're doing in this life. You're not committed. You aren't covenanted with the church family. And that worries me. Because you want to be equal in the church, but you just don't want to covenant with the church. Become a member. That is a great way to get invested. The other way that we get in the grace of giving is I need some of you to make your initial investment. If you go on our website, we, we have a really great website, by the way. It's great. You can go to the give section, which I wish all of us would do because then you can give when you're not here. Uh, but you go to the website and you'll find this tab when you pull it down that says my initial investment. Now, here's what we're going to do. I believe in, in the grace of giving so much so that I'm going to ask, if you've never invested before, make your first investment for the next three months. And at the end of three months, if you don't feel like it was worth it, we will save it and we will give it all back to you. 
I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I don't have any money, but I'll give your money back to you if you don't like it. If you don't feel like God has blessed you over the three months of giving, we will give it back. That's how much I believe in it. We'll write you a check for the full amount. Some of you, would you go online and you would you make your initial investment? Now to my, I was going to say seniors, but I'm going to say mature Christians. You know, some of us are proud of the fact that we give 10%. Can I just say, though, that you're only living to the law and not to grace? You see, grace, once again, is a fullness. It is overflowing. It is an abundance. And when we decide that we're only going to give 10%, we're living to the law. But grace calls you to the more. So for my mature Christians who have been giving all along, can I challenge you just for a, a, a period of time to give out of grace, to give to the more? Lastly, I know, whew, long list here. One of the things that I love about our global church is we believe in other countries. And so we have an investment tour in 2018. We have partnered with the country of Costa Rica. We've, we were developing wonderful relationships over there. But we are going into Costa Rica summer of 2018. I'm giving you a year, year advance to get ready for this. We're going to go into POAS, and we're going to build a community playground that's not there. By the way, for some of you who are like, this isn't for me. I don't do other countries. Listen, I've been informed that this is one of the most cushy, cushy mission trips you could ever go on. It's so cushy. We're taking our kids, right? They said it's great food. You have great housing that overlooks mountains. But guess what? Our church, our community will be on display for the community of POAS to see. That God's love is so moved in us that we will travel halfway across the world to meet the needs of people that don't have what we have. You see, it's not about money. It's about grace. Would you experience God's grace? And would you give out of the grace that he's given you? I truly believe that when we become an equal whole together, giving as one, this church is going to go even further than where we are now. We have come so far in the last two years. So far. But we're, we've only gone this far. And we need to go the entire length of the stage. Anybody remember the movie Dumb and Dumber? And they're riding in the car. And he says, you know, Harry, according to this, Lord, according to this map, we've only gone an inch. <laughs> Some of you seen the movie get that. We've only gone an inch. We've come a long way, but we've only gone an inch. Joliet, first, I love you. Thank you for supporting our family. Thank you for supporting our church. Thank you for supporting my wife and I. But let's give together. One of the things that we do every week is we believe that when you have received, when you have received God's grace, you participate in a meal. When you are searching after God's grace, we believe grace is in this meal. So if you're hungry and you're looking for God, this is where it starts. Come to the table and eat. Everyone is invited. This is our response to the word that's been given to us today. Let me pray. For those of you serving communion, would you come forward? Lord, we acknowledge your goodness today. We acknowledge that you have blessed us even in our own poverty. And Lord, I pray this morning that we would have overflowing joy of the salvation that you've given us and that we give out of our extreme poverty for your mission.
That's what it's all about. It's the mission of Christ. Lord, we pray that you would stir in our hearts, that you would move us in some way. Lord, I pray today that we, on our connection card, would make one new commitment to give in the grace of giving. We pray for new followers. We pray that people would be so drawn into the mission of your saving and rescuing lives that they want to be part of it. Because life can't get any better when we're part of it. We acknowledge this moment that the, the, the table has been prepared. This meal of mission, this meal of sending us into the community has been prepared. May it nourish our bodies in Jesus' name.